The Lord Jesus came into this world when the fullness of the time had come. And we saw in that reading that it mentioned there that Jesus was born of a woman, which of course is something that most people uh, understand and remember at this time of year. But it also says there that he was born under the law. And that's probably a phrase that most people are not familiar with and that causes them uh, something of a perplexity. What on earth does that mean? Well, we'll consider that this evening when the fullness of the time had come, Christ was born, but he was born under the law. We're at that time of year when the TV channels, if you're into them, will be showing all kinds of popular family films. And not many Christmases go by without a screening of Mary Poppins, the magical nanny who arrives to look after Jane and Michael Banks. The story is set in Edwardian London when the children of bank managers, because that's their father's occupation, they were largely seen and not heard and a nanny was employed to perform most of the childcare. Only as they approached adulthood did the children finally come out into society and then so that the sons could go to university and get a good career and the daughters could find a suitable husband. The children, especially the boys, sorry girls and ladies, but it does get better, mainly the boys, they were born as heirs. And one day they would receive the family inheritance but their early years were spent out of sight, largely, out of the limelight, away from the social scene that they would one day be part of. They were raised by hired staff. They spent most of their time with those hired staff. And in some ways, they really weren't that much different to the hired staff who looked after them. They didn't have many of the other blessings that they would one day go into. Now, why do I mention that story? Well, that situation is very much similar to what would happen in Roman society. A Roman household, during the time when the Apostle Paul was alive, is um, describing a similar thing in verses 1 and 2 of Galatians 4, where the children... Uh, would be looked after by guardians and stewards and their life didn't really differ that much from a slave in many ways. In Roman society, boys would have been supervised by a male version of Mary Poppins, but someone rather more serious. Someone who wasn't called a nanny, but was actually called a paedagogus, uh, minus the songs, and with no trace of Dick, Dan Mike, Dick Van Dyke's awful attempt at a Cockney accent, you'll be glad to know. It was quite a serious business, actually, looking after these young men in Roman society. And whilst a child, that boy was not really any different to a slave, eating and sleeping under the same roof as mum and dad, but not enjoying 
much more than that by way of privilege during their young years. There is a sense in which that child, as the future heir, is technically the master of the stewards who are looking after them. But until his father decides, the child remains under the authority and care of that slave or that steward. Now, says Paul, there was a time when as God's chosen nation and as God's people, we were like one of those children. We were under a tutor. And that tutor, verse 24 of chapter 3, was the law of God. Now, being under the law is very restrictive. You remember the strict rules and regulations that all the Pharisees used to follow in the New Testament. Being under the law means that if you're relying upon the law to save you, if you're relying upon the law to make you right with God, you have got to keep that law at every single point, always, for all of your life, and never once fail. The law is there to guide and direct and train. Well, the Roman child is learning everything that his father requires him to be. Hopefully, he'll live up to his father's expectations and dad won't be too disappointed. Do you remember in that film, Mary Poppins, there's the, that scene, there's the disdain of Mr. Banks when he learns that his children got lost in the park, flying a kite of all things. And... Uh, a very serious talking to is given to the children. Now, the people of God, they may learn from the law of God everything that God requires them to be. If you read through the Old Testament scriptures, you will find there everything that God requires you to be. But you'll also discover something else. To your great dismay, you cannot do it. You cannot live up to it because your sin prevents you from being able to. Nevertheless, look at how Paul describes their situation. We'll read from verse 22 of chapter 3 of Galatians. The scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But... After faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor because Christ has come to redeem us from the law. In other words, even though in New Testament days it's been 1,500 years since the law was given to Moses, but that was only always intended to be a temporary position until Christ came. The day was approaching when God's law would be written in the hearts of those who turned 
to the promised Messiah by faith. The purpose of the law was to make it obvious to people that their sins prevented them from being able to keep the law so that they would instead run to Christ and cling to him by faith for forgiveness and for new birth and to partake of the new covenant that Christ would establish through the shedding of his blood. That's what we're going to remember shortly. The new covenant that's been established through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we were like slaves under bondage to the law, Paul is saying. But, but when the fullness of the time had come, God had always known when Jesus would come. Had, al had always known what Jesus would come to do. You have that great verse at the beginning of Paul's second letter to Timothy. And in the opening chapter of 2 Timothy, you have that, that wonderful verse that um, it talks about the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, because we could never hope to be saved by keeping the law, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed. So this was all planned and put into place and set in motion before time began, but now the fullness of the time has come. And Jesus is to be born and then he would die. And you can read uh, all the things that commentators say about how things were just right in the Middle East in many ways when it talks about the fullness of the time had come. But it's wonderful to remember the influence that had taken place in the previous centuries by the Greek and the Roman empires and the effect that that had had on the Middle East. Common languages with... Um, Greek being widely spoken, um, relative peace. Um, you didn't know much about peace if you upset the Romans, but as long as you did what you were told, you could live peaceably. A very good infrastructure that the Romans had built, ease of travel, and how the Apostle Paul, as a Roman citizen, would use all of those things to great advantage in the spreading of the gospel. And when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son. And so to begin with, we see people who are under the law of God. This is what God requires of you. But none of us can live that way because our sin prevents us. But you can be redeemed from the law. Redeemed from the law. That's what we're remembering as we come around the Lord's table. Jesus was born of a woman records Paul here. He didn't have an earthly father, of course, but he was flesh and blood as surely as you and I are flesh and blood. He was raised from infancy through boyhood and adolescence and into maturity. During all those years, he too was subject to that same law of God. He too needed to live up to God's exacting requirements. But in Jesus Christ, as we remember this morning, 
we discover the first man who ever could. We discover the first man who ever did. A man who lived perfectly before God and who never once sinned. And Jesus came to redeem us from the law. He's come to pay the penalty for all of our transgressions of the law. He's come to pay the penalty that will provide release and forgiveness for our guilt as law breakers. Let's return to our children being raised by a nanny or a, a paedagogus in Roman society. The fullness of the time comes for them. The day when they step out from under their tutor and their mentor and they're now brought alongside their father and they stand shoulder to shoulder with their father. The father's standards are all still there and that is still how the child is expected to behave. The name and the honour of the family are to be upheld. But the child is now in a different relationship to the father. That which, which the father required of them is no longer a strict and brutal regime of law keeping. Which pummels them every time they step out of line. It's now become their very nature and their character to do it. And to be the child of the father that they should be and for the Christians says Paul that which God requires of us is still there the law of God hasn't been wiped out or abolished by Christ you remember he said I haven't come to abolish the law I've come to be to be the fulfillment of it everything that God requires of us is still exactly the same but our relationship to it has completely changed because in Christ, by faith, you've become sons. Sons. And you've been redeemed from the law. You now have the nature of a law keeper. Rather than the nature of a law breaker. Because you've been born again by God's spirit if you're a Christian. And the perfections of Christ's sinless life are now considered to be yours as we saw this morning. The law of God has been written in your heart and even though you don't yet live a sinless life, that day will come eventually when we get to glory to be with our Saviour forever. But your relationship to your Heavenly Father is based upon grace and it's not based upon your ability to keep the law. The penalty for our failure to keep the law has been paid in full. And Christ has redeemed us in complete satisfaction to a holy God. And how can we be sure of this? How can we be certain that we are accepted by faith in Christ Jesus simply because of God's grace towards us? How can we be certain that as a Christian, I can now stand as one complete, one upon whom God sees only righteousness? Well, it's confirmed in that God actually makes us to be his sons. He actually adopts us into his family.
I've sometimes had it put to me that it would be better if the Bible used the word children rather than sons because it's more inclusive. And of course, in the age in which we live with equality and all of these kinds of things, sometimes when people see sections of the scriptures like this where it specifically mentions sons, um, those kinds of issues are sometimes brought to the surface. I hope to show you that that really must not be an issue or a problem. You need to put to one side the foibles of the world in which we live, the foibles of this sinful world in which we live. Now, the specific phrase, children of God, is used in the Bible frequently to describe Christians. And in addition to that, just the word word children may be found throughout the New Testament referring to Christian believers. In places, the apostles specifically use the word sons, and they do that for a very important reason, and for a specific reason. The word son is used to drive home a very specific privilege, which is conferred upon all believers, whether you're male or female, which is something that Paul actually mentions, doesn't he, towards the end of chapter 3. Your salvation has nothing to do with whether you're a man or a woman. It only has to do with Christ. And the fact that you're a son is a title that applies to female Christians as much as to male Christians. You're all sons. Because the word sons is used to convey a very specific privilege which belongs to all Christian believers. The word son is used to convey the fact that you're not just a child. You are an heir. That's why the word son is used. You're an heir with Christ. You see, in some societies... You can be a child, but not an heir. What Paul wants to emphasize here is that everyone who is a child of God is an heir with Christ. You all have an equal inheritance before God as Christian men and women. All of his children are heirs. And the word son is used here to convey that emphasis. So you see, to get, if you allow yourself to get all politically correct about the fact that Paul is using the word son, and if you replaced son with child, you actually lessen the meaning. You don't improve it. You make it less than it is. Not better. If you're a Christian believer, you are an heir. You have this wonderful, eternal inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the important truth that Paul wants to convey. And you become family by means of adoption. Now, we have adoption, don't we? Many societies have adoption. Roman society had adoption. They would have known exactly what Paul was talking about. Childless couples in Rome would sometimes adopt a young adult male 
and he would become the legal son and heir of that childless couple to take on and continue the family name. Uh, and such a man would be put under a paedagogos and, and be taught and raised uh, and shown what was expected of him for when he would take over his, from his father. You gain legal title as an adopted son. You gain legal rights as an adopted son. And that's what God has conveyed upon you. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he says in verse 26 of chapter 3. This links back to what we've already said regarding our relationship to the law. You see, outside of Christ, if you're not a Christian, the only means of access to God and the only way that you can be accepted by God is if you can keep his law completely at every point. But you can't. You can't. Your sinful nature won't permit you. You just can't be that kind of person. In Christ, he becomes your access. And in him, you are made acceptable to God. The law hasn't been abolished. God hasn't disregarded the law. Christ has atoned for your sins and fulfilled the law on your behalf. His death is your death. Your old sinful self has died with him. And his perfect life is your life. And you have been raised with him in newness of life. And this is the new legal status that God confers upon all of his children as he adopts them into his family. And so the urgings and exhortations of the apostles in their letters are not for you to live as you ought to in order to get yourself right with God, but to live as you ought to live because you have been made right with God and you are God's child. So live like God's child. He's brought you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We're going to be thinking about that tomorrow morning. Walk as the child of light that you now are. They're the exhortations of the apostles' letters. You know, if God had decided to debate with us what the exact terms of our relationship would be with him as Christians. Of course he hasn't, and it's wonderful that he hasn't, but suppose that he did. He actually sat down and debated with us. Um, let's talk about this. What kind of relationship can you have with me when you're a Christian? I'm fairly certain that most of us would sell that relationship short compared to what God has actually done. I think for most of us, to know that you can be saved from God's wrath on that day of judgment, to know that you can receive God's forgiveness for all of your sins, 
to know that you have the promise of everlasting life? Most of us would probably agree that's already far more than we deserve. I don't think any of us would have been so bold as to suggest that God could elevate us to the position of sons and heirs with Christ. Would we ever have thought that we could have been elevated to such a privilege? But that's what God does for every Christian believer. You see, such is the magnitude of God's mercy and grace. Such is the degree of God's loving kindness towards sinful men and women. That's exactly what God has purposed to do. And that's what he has done for you if you're a Christian. He's made you his son. You're an heir of the promise and all that is to come. And this table that we're about to gather around together is for all who are such. Do you know in your own soul that you are his son through faith? by grace, in Jesus Christ. Are you able to rejoice with us that when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son? Our hearts should be shouting out hallelujah. What a saviour and what a salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, that he would make us to be his sons. And we gather around the Lord's table to remember together the once for all death and sacrifice of the one who now, amazingly, we can call our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of Kings, and Lord of Lords. And so we're going to meet around the Lord's table. Now, I've mentioned this is for Christian believers. And it's for Christian believers who are in fellowship with God's people. And if that describes you, if you're a visitor amongst us this evening, if you're a Christian, if you're trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and he alone is your hope and you're in fellowship with God's people, we invite you to partake with us as the bread and the cup is shared. But if, if, if that is not your testimony uh, and you know that that is not speaking of you, please uh, just permit the bread and the cup to pass you by. The scriptures make it very clear. If you, in this occasion sit here and pretend to be something you are not, you only bring an even greater judgment upon yourself. Please just allow the elements to pass by. And please, will you not think this evening about this Jesus who came into the world to save sinners, that you might be forgiven all of your sins, that you might become an heir in Christ and know his forgiveness. Well, as we prepare to share these elements together, we're going to stand and we'll sing a hymn.